And similar to the last episode, going back with the opening, I have not done one of these episodes since last year. So I released a series that was originally intended to go throughout and last a little bit longer than what it did. But I think Holy Spirit's plans were, you know, God's plans were a little different than mine. And, you know, praise God, his plans are greater and higher. So we want to be respectful to him and submissive to him. But it is reintroduced now. Amen. So the series is called Prophetic Insights, Interpreting the Voice of Yah. And this time it's through the book of Daniel. So the first episode, if you will, was through Psalms 93 through 94, those two chapters. And what this series is about, it's explaining what God is saying and doing in current times. Now, the insights that I'm going to release today might not be in the current year, but might be in current times. I hope you're catching what I'm putting down. And it might be in years leading up to certain times to talk about where we are now. So I'm going to give an overview of Daniel chapters one through three, and then I'm going to read Daniel four through 28 through 36 from the Amplified Bible. It's a little lengthy, but I definitely want to read that to give us some idea and some scriptural reference and background of what's going on. So the prophets had been prophesying, especially Jeremiah, had been prophesying Babylonian captivity for quite some time. Israel had refused to come into agreement or to, it's not even about coming to agreement. Israel just refused. They were, it was rebellion, but they were so script, they were so stubborn. Scripture refers to Israel as stiff necked people, which means stubborn. And when you're stubborn, if you go back to the very first episode in the Out of the Vault series called Leaving Egypt, it talks about the seven pillars of leaving Egypt or having success, if you will. I forget how I labeled it, but go back and listen to that. It's the first one of Out of the Vault series. And the first two principles are abandoning pride. And the last one is pride and denial. So pride starts with a D and not a P. And it's pride and denial. So the one I want to focus on is that pride and denial. So the first one, pride, we all have pride. And I, I, you know, I really, I'm just going to say it. I hate it. I loathe it even when certain people feel like they don't have pride. Pride is the number one thing that we have to check and assess in our hearts because it, because it is the number one thing that will keep God away from us. You see, I'm about to spit and drop some knowledge for you. You got to check what people are teaching you because I don't like when people say, God never left, you left. Well, that's not true. That is not true. 
because scripture says from the Old Testament to the New Testament that God, God, Yahweh, because, you know, there are many people and there are many things and in entities claiming to be God. But as John Paul Jackson would say, who's God's God? So I identify Israel's God, who is God, the one and only true living God, the eternal who revealed himself as the eternal one to Abraham and revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh. That's who's God. God says, I resist the proud and I draw away from them. God says the proud go before a fall. God says the proud I do not know. But I draw near to the humble. I am near to the meek. I am near to the brokenhearted and the contrite spirit. I accept and receive those. So don't fall for the hype. Now, you know, I would say, I wouldn't even say that's an exception because it's greater than an exception. I would say those are the things that would make God withdraw from us. But the other times, it would be that we are withdrawn from him because he is ever present. He is ever there. He is omnipresent. He is Emmanuel. He is Yahweh Shama, so on and so forth. So again, pick up what I'm putting down. So the prophets have been prophesying Babylonian captivity. And, you know, just much like in today's time, I have, I'll leave that alone. But just like in today's time, Christians are a lot like Israel. And a lot of people are stiff-necked and stubborn, and they are resistant to change. And let me tell you something, and I've said this a lot on my podcast. You don't want to resist the word of God. And I have taught recently on how to manage and how to steward prophecy, which is the word of God. Prophecy is the word of God. Now, some people have ultimately and horrendously mismanaged prophecy, but we cannot ignore when God is speaking. We have a responsibility to test prophecy and to run swiftly with prophecy, to guard prophecy and to watch it manifest we have to execute and come into agreement because essentially when someone is prophesying, whether if it's a prophet or not, because anyone can prophesy, I said anyone, anyone, anyone. And when I say anyone, I don't mean people who are sons and daughters of Most High God. I mean anyone <laughs> or even anything. Hello, ravens and, and donkeys. So you want to test the spirits. You want to see where it's coming from. And the way that you do that is you go to Holy Spirit and you go before the throne of Yahweh and you ask Yeshua, reveal it. That's all you do. And you wait until you get the revelation from Holy Spirit. And then you go forward and you stand on, you believe it and you steward that revelation until you get more and more on what to do next. Knowledge on what to do next. So revelation then becomes knowledge, telling you what to do, how to execute, and how to go forward. And then you begin to implement plans and you go forward. 
That's what we are supposed to do. And it is the word of God. You see, we got to have spirit and truth. But Israel didn't want that. Israel said, oh, no way. This is not going to happen. And Israel chose to believe in false prophets. Are there any things that I'm saying that's reminiscent of what's going on today? Anything. Listen to the word of most high God. You see, when Israel escaped, victoriously escaped by the hands of God, miraculously, which I believe we were supposed to in some capacity in 2021 as well. And I don't know if that has expired. I don't know if it was just meant for this year and we missed it. Or I don't know if God's saying, but I'm giving you a window of grace. We'll see what happens in 2023. He's God. Let him be God. When Israel miraculously escaped from Egypt and they immediately went into the wilderness their first thing that they had to overcome, it wasn't that they had to learn to be sons. It was not that they had to learn to trust Most High God. Those were secondary and tertiary. The first thing they had to get rid of was pride. And you might sit there and wonder and say, well, how were they proud, Rashad? They were enslaved. They were captives for 450 years. What did they have to be proud about? Well, you don't think that people who are less than, quote unquote, who are in poverty, you don't think that those individuals have pride? Everyone, that's what I just said several minutes ago. Everyone has some measure and form of pride. That's what was passed down came from the curse, from the actions in the Garden of Eden, from both Adam and Eve. It just appeared differently in both of them. Eve chose pride in seeking knowledge above the commands of God and believing deception. I know better than you and I want this and I want to do better than what I know is from Most High God. Adam chose to come into agreement with his wife, then adhering to the commands of Most High God. So they both failed. And that curse was passed to all generations that have been and will be. It's pride. And we have to deal with pride first. So... Chapter one of Daniel, it talks about four Hebrew boys and it talks about Israel being in Babylonian captivity. But God always has a plan. You see, this is what I try to tell people. Even in a type of captivity, and I've said this at least three or four times already, pick it up. We have been in a type of captivity. Even in a type of captivity or or full-on, full-blown captivity, God always has a plan. Even in 450 years 
of captivity, he had a plan called Moses and Aaron. And it took a while for Moses to come to, but he had a plan. Even when the temple was destroyed, he had a plan. When the judges parrot, well, excuse me, when Joshua, who acted and served as a judge, and the other elders, when they took their last breath, and Israel went buck wild and wanted to do what they wanted to do, not adhere to the, the voice of Most High God and chose other gods of other nations, and God raised up judges, and those judges died, and the other judges were raised up because Israel, again, was proud and stiff-necked and did not realize that they were in denial about their pride. God still had a plan. He raised up more judges because God always responds to the sincerity and the contrite heart and the brokenness and the meekness of his people. And Israel were Israel was broken. That's what Judges is about. They were broken. And every time it says they cried out to God, they cried out to God. He raised up another judge, another leader. And God always has a plan. So we have to believe that even when it's bleak and it's dark and we don't know where it's going and we can't see far. That's okay. Because only he knows the outcome. Only he knows the future. Only he knows all the outcomes. He gives us a glimpse of it. And sometimes we're right. Not all the times. Sometimes we're right. I talk about this in one of my previous episodes about he knows all the outcomes. Unless the Holy Spirit gives us the accuracy and the acuity to say this is where we're going and this is what Yahweh's saying, we don't know. Because scripture says we know in part, we prophesy in part. We're not perfect and perfection has yet to come. That's why God is raising up a group of people, a remnant who will consist of the body, and that is the bride. That's what he's doing. And you want to make sure that you're a part of that. Now, enough of all that. So chapter two, um, Daniel and the Hebrew boys via Daniel are established because of Daniel taking a leadership role, if you will, arising among and saying that we're not going to do this. We're going to stand firm. And Daniel stood firm. And they talked about, we're not going to eat of the delicacies. We're going to make sure that we do X, Y, Z. We serve Yahweh, even in captivity. I hope you're listening. Even in captivity, even in a type of captivity, we serve Yahweh. Come what may. It's as Esther said, who was in a captivity state. You see, captivity has been throughout the Bible, people. I don't know why we have this mindset that everything has always been liberated and free we see captivity throughout the Bible and Genesis. So I'll leave that there. You got to know how to be circumspect. You got to know your design, know your calling, know your purpose, and you got to know how to stand up and resist and fight 
when God is telling you to and when he's calling you to. And Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Well, that's what the Hebrew boys said as well. They, they didn't just use those words as Esther did, but that's what they were saying. If we perish, we perish. We're not going to worship the Babylonian gods, and we're not going to bow down to your image, Nebuchadnezzar, which comes over to chapter three. He built a golden image of himself and what he was representing. Now, you really need to follow along to this. Daniel is such a prolific book. Every chapter is a prolific book about a prophetic picture of what has happened, what has happened, why we are where we are and what will happen in the final end. Are you getting me? Nebuchadnezzar was filled with, I mean, I don't know anybody else who had more pride besides probably Israel, God's own people. Probably besides Cyrus, probably besides uh, King Artaxerxes and besides Satan. And then, you know, you also had the king of Tyre. And then the prince of Tyre. Those were some proud people. And I mean, of course, you know, Moses had pride as well. And then Paul had pride. I told you, even God's own people have pride. But King Nebuchadnezzar was a very, you know, there's their variations of pride. He was haughty and he was brazen with his haughtiness. I mean, he was above everybody else. So he built images in his own honor and in his own name. And he mandated that you must bow down and worship. Well, God in his infinite wisdom and God being God, I'm speaking of Yahweh, Israel's God, the one true God, the eternal one, El Olam, that God, Yahweh Nisi, that name is important, the victorious God, sent King Nebuchadnezzar a dream and all of his wise men or what some translations call them. Some of the translations call them magicians. You know, some are sorcerers. Some translations call them Chaldeans. And that's probably closer to what they truly were. And the Chaldeans can be translated as all those things that I said. But I guess maybe a better translation of a Chaldean was someone who understood how to access secret knowledge and mysteries. They would be today's versions of secret societies or people who tapped into second heaven, consorted and received knowledge from demons. They were like the Philistines because that's what the Philistines did. They observed the stars. They built big edifices. I mean, their people were giants. So, you know, some of them didn't even need to build edifices, but they would build edifices and they would observe the stars. So that's called astrology. So I'm not sure if they were the first people to do it or not. I don't have that research in front of me, but the, the Philistines were astrological individuals and they would ascertain information from the second heaven in space, from the stars, and then they would prophesy from that. And dare I say it, they were oftentimes accurate. You see, that's where we go back to several, several minutes ago where I said anyone can prophesy. You got to watch which 
kingdom and from which source and from which tree. This episode is very important for 2022. So God already having a plan raises up Daniel to be an interpreter, not just of dreams, but Daniel also interprets visions. Now, there is something for you to go study and for you to go write a study and for you to go write a book about. Because a lot of people just talk about dream interpretations, but scripture says Daniel interpreted visions. I'm not sure I ever heard anybody talk about that besides John Paul Jackson. Now, that does not mean anyone else hasn't, but he's the only one who I know who's talked about that. And I have several books on seers and dream interpretation. So we'll leave that where it is. So Daniel is summoned and he interprets the dream accurately because none of the Chaldeans can interpret it because it didn't come from their gods. And God closed up that window of access because they didn't have, they didn't have access to the source They didn't have access to him, but Daniel did. And God said, I summon you and awaken you now, Daniel, you will know. And he gave him that ability and Daniel was summoned before the king and he accurately interpreted the dream. And God, again, in his infinite wisdom, he allowed the king to bear witness with Daniel's interpretation and he rose Daniel up to high status before and unlike with other kings who would do that in the Bible history. He didn't execute the Chaldeans. He let the Chaldeans stay and watch God raise, watch the king raise up God's, Yahweh's forerunner, choice man, and God do it. And it also talks about that in Daniel 3. And Daniel too, God raises up and takes down. God destroy, God promotes. So that brings us over to Daniel chapter four. And there's lots of things that's in between all of that. You know, we have the stuff where there's jealousy that's ensuing, of course, because the Chaldeans were the highly sought after ones by the king and they were the people of that time, but also the people of that nation. So of course, jealousy is going to rise up, but you also have to understand they were the people of the viper. Yeshua called the the Pharisees brood of vipers. You are your, your father's sons. So they were jealous times three. And that last jealousy, vipers, caused them to later on attack Daniel, which we will not be getting into. I want to read Daniel 4, verses 28 through 36 from the Amplified Version. And again, remember, we're focusing on pride. Daniel interprets a vision from King Nebuchadnezzar because now he's having a vision. And here's what Daniel says. All this happened 
to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the upper level of the royal palace of Babylon. The king said thoughtfully, is it not this the great Babylon, which I myself have built as the royal residence and a seat of government by the might of my power and for the honor and glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came as if falling from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, the kingdom has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the animals of the field. You will be given grass to eat like the cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know without any doubt that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of mankind, and he bestows it on whomever he desires. There it is again. So it's in chapters 2, 3, and 4. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. But at the end of the days, that is, at the seven periods of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my understanding and reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High God, and I praised and honored and glorified him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor were returned to me and my counselors and nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my kingdom and still more greatness than before was added to me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exult and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and faithful and his ways are just and he is able to humiliate and humble those who walk in self-centered, self-righteous pride. There's a lot. There is a lot. I'm not getting into all of it. You got to catch it by the spirit. You got to pick up what I'm putting down. So let me rewind. I said this might not specifically apply to 2021. But it applies to current times and events, and it applies to past events and times leading up to the current times. Pick it up. That's all I'm going to say. Now, this is pertaining to King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a sovereign. He was a king. He was a governing official. He was a ruler, and it was pertaining to as we talked about in chapter three, his glorifying himself, how haughty he was, but it also is a picture of how we can be as a people. I talked about Israel, how God's word says Israel is a stiff necked people. They don't listen. That's what Psalm 95 says. If you would listen today, if you will hear my voice, over and over again, if you would humble yourselves, if you will hear my, if you will hearken to my voice, the King James Version says, 
And I hear God saying that to us now. If we will submit to him, I think many times we we're, we think that we're submitted to God. And that's for all of us. We think we are. But here's something else that John Paul Jackson says. How we're submitted to authority is how we're submitted to God. Ooh. Now, you got to work that out for yourself. I'm not telling you to be out here and you got to work that out for yourself. And you go to Holy Spirit and you ask him what that means. But how we submit to authority is how we truly submit to most high God. King Nebuchadnezzar was not submitted to any authority except himself. He was haughty and full of self-righteousness. So according to his own words, God didn't just humble him. He humiliated him. How did he humiliate him? He put him in the wilderness for seven periods of time and he made him behave like a wild man, like an animal and eat as an animal and grow bodily features and functions like an animal because he had an animalistic nature. Doesn't God have a comical side to him? Pride will destroy us. And we want to make sure as we come into 2022 that we want to leave as much as we can. We want to forsake. We want to resist that nature within us. We don't want to be like Satan. Satan's kingdom is predicated upon pride. It's what got him kicked out of his seat of authority. He has no more authority. He's powerful, but he doesn't have authority. And Satan, just like Nebuchadnezzar, took pride to the maximum level. He was a haughty something else. I will be above. You see, Satan's words didn't just say in Isaiah, it didn't just say I will be above God. Satan's word said I will be above the stars of God. Stars are above our heads. Satan was saying, I will be so high above that I'm above his head, meaning there is a ceiling to where he is and I am. I will ascend that high up. Ain't that haughty? And because God is God, God is most high God. That's another name for him. That's another name for Yahweh. He showed him who was God. He showed little G God who thought he was God, who's truly God, capital G. And he fell and he never rose to that place of prominence again. And sometime later, which this is a different teaching, a different time. We ain't got time for all of that today. So don't ask and don't seek out. You know, I don't even know if I'm gonna talk about that. That, that ain't, you know, we're saying on, on God's schedule. But sometime later, he even got kicked out of being able to get into certain parts where he can go before God. And you can find that in Job. So we have to be careful of the pride that comes in our hearts. And I talk about this in several episodes ago. I had a conversation with God one night. And listen to me, when I'm talking to God, it's personal, 
but also I don't ever just think about the immediacy. I don't think about myself. I don't think about my family. I don't think about my city. I don't think about my state. I don't think about my nation. I think about global because God's mind is global. And I mean, God's mind is bigger than that because there are far things beyond the earth that I don't even know about. So I can only know what he allows me to know, but I think globally. So when I asked God, how do we conquer pride? His spirit immediately responded, you humble yourself. And I said, I know that. But how do we resist pride? And he said, you humble yourself. So we want to make sure that as we enter into 2022 and beyond, that we are a humble people. We let go of pride. You see, that was the hardest thing for Israel to do in the wilderness. It's what kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you hear me? They couldn't get to the secondary. Now I'm about to preach and prophesy to you. They couldn't get to the sonship issue because they dealt with pride for 40 years. They didn't get to the sonship issue until Numbers chapter one through four. That's when they finally learned we're learning how to be sons. God said, "Okay, now you're going to go and learn how to be sons, that you are sons and no longer slaves, because it took them that long to get over pride. Don't tell me two things that God's people don't have pride. And that pride is not the number one thing that we have to get over. It will rob us of our worship. It will rob us of our relationship and connection and intimacy with God. 2022 is a time to be intimate with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three of them. I said it the way I said it. For the marriage of the lamb is drawing near. It is a time for the bride and the bridegroom. It's a time for us to understand we are betrothed of Yeshua. We are his beloved. We got to understand intimacy. We are in him and that is humility. We cannot be self-righteous. We cannot. And, you know, self-righteousness and pride doesn't even have to be singular or solo. It can look like I'm off in my group. I'm in my group by myself. I'm in my region by my, you know, it's a regional thing. It's a state thing. It's a national thing. God is looking, excuse me, Yeshua is looking for his bride, people. His bride is spread across the world. You got to stop thinking so small. It's worldwide. It's the remnant. The remnant will make up the bride. Hear me on that. Now, let me close this out. The second thing that we can take from chapter four, verses 28 to 36 in the book of Daniel is that maybe some people who are supposed to or were supposed to lead and or rule, they did not lead or rule because they were filled with pride. Or their leadership got taken away from them 
their titles got taken away from them, just as it did with Nebuchadnezzar because of pride. But the redemption, two things. What did I say about captivity and types of captivity? Of Daniel and the Hebrew boys, of Esther, of the Israelites in Egypt. The redemptive plan was Moses and Aaron. The redemptive plan was Esther. The redemptive plan in captivity was Daniel and the Hebrew boys. God has a redemptive plan. We have to seek it out. And all those characters I just listed were men and women of humility. They humbled themselves. Scripture says Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth during that time. And if you know the story about Moses, ain't nothing was meek about him in the beginning. That's why it took him 40 years on the backside. So God could put him in humility and meekness. So he could father a nation. He had to get pride out of of his son because pride fueled Egypt and you cannot fight pride with pride. That's not how it works. The same thing with Daniel and the Hebrew boys. You cannot fight pride against pride with the Babylonians. You got to go low. Hang on for a second because I got us. I'm about to preach to you. I don't know why everybody keeps harping on the book of Daniel. And this is not about, this is not about anyone specific. Don't you point fingers. I don't want to hear no sermons or no messages. Allusions towards my podcast about this, because I ain't talking about nobody specific. But I am hearing a lot of people, especially on Facebook. That's, that's really what I'm talking about on Facebook. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about I love Daniel. Daniel's my favorite. Be more like Daniel. And you know what really happens on Facebook? People are just giving lip service because what's really going on? Because if you were truly like Daniel, we would be seeing more change in the earth because God draws near to the humble. And where there is humility and meekness, there is authority. Authority generates power demonstrations. You ain't getting no power if you ain't got no authority. I'm going to say it again. Where there is humility and meekness, there is authority. Where there is authority, you get power and power demonstrations. That's why we ain't seeing nothing. Because we don't have any authority. Mm. I'm talking about as a people. I'm not talking about individual. There are many individuals. There are many churches and sects, SCCTS. There are many um, groups who do. But as a nation or the nations or the bride that is forming, we don't yet. We're too disjoined. We're too disbanded. We're too uh, 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 disunified and full of pride to have that. But God's people, Yeshua's bride, must, not a will, must, and then will, be a meek and humble people filled to capacity with authority. So if you love Daniel, 
Daniel did not fight pride with pride. Daniel did not resist. The only time Daniel resists the the governing officials and the rulership of Babylon was with worship. We're not worshiping Babylonian gods and we're not worshiping your image, Nebuchadnezzar, because that is an illusion. Now, Daniel didn't know this yet. God will reveal it to him later. But that is an illusion to what Satan will do in the very end. With the false prophet and the beast and the image. We ain't doing that. Those were the only times resistance happened. And then also when they wanted them to eat of the Babylonian foods. Now, I'm not trying to get into this right now, but I think that that can be for various reasons. So I'll just leave that there. But those were the only times that they resisted. Because worship is sacred. It's always been about a war for worship. It has always been about a war for worship. Always. In the garden, that's what it was about. Who you're going to worship? Are you going to worship the command of Yahweh? Or are you going to be deceived by my tricks and worship me. Well, you know the end of the story. And throughout from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, it is about who are you going to worship? What did Satan tempt Yeshua about? Who are you going to worship? The Father in heaven, or are you going to bow down to me and let me give you the seven mountains of influence? It's about worship. And Daniel said, I'm not having it. This is where I draw the line and this is where I stand firm. So if you want to be like Daniel, you got to go low. You have to understand how to succeed and excel in a time of captivity. I'll leave that where it's at. Let me get back to the regularly scheduled program because this is long enough. And I said I was going to close out. Maybe some people got their titles and their leadership seats removed because of pride. But the redemption side is, watch this. If you humble yourself and you acknowledge him as most high God, what does scripture say that he does? He draws near to the brokenhearted, to the contrite spirit. Actually, it says he will not refuse a contrite spirit. A lot of people say, what does God require of me? What does God want? How do we be successful? How do we? That's what he wants. And the church is full of pride, y'all. The spirit of religion brings pride. That's why we got to break free of religion. It brings, it breeds and births pride. It's, we take it on like it's a birthright. How do we be humble? Well, we humble ourselves. And that's just a fruit that we're going to have to grow. We commune with Holy Spirit. We invite Holy Spirit. We welcome Holy Spirit. We just have a relationship of fellowship with Holy Spirit. That's important and indicative for 2022. It's all three. 2022 is going to be a very unique year. 
It's going to be a very unique year, and we'll talk more about that later on. I don't want to get too much into that right now. But in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar got some acrite up in him. And it says when he came back to his senses, I paraphrased that or rewrote it. It actually says in the Amplified Version that when his reason came back to him, he began to worship God. Uh, excuse me, when he lifted his eyes and raised his eyes to heaven, meaning when he acknowledged that Yahweh was God, that's when his understanding and reason came back to him. And then he began to praise God. Then he began to acclaim and say, you are the most high God, which meant he denounced his image because what that image meant was I am God. Now, let me draw a connection. You see, when God calls Cyrus to be the deliverer for Israel and to stand up for Israel, it was different than Esther's husband, King Artaxerxes. I mean, that's who people say he is. His, his name was different in that book. Um, King Ahasuerus is what his name was in, in the book of Esther. But they say that the translation to that was or synonymous is with King Artaxerxes. Um, Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar were different. God gave those two men, um, they were both wicked and evil men, but God gave those two men an understanding unlike he gave King Ahasuerus. Now, King Ahasuerus gave, was very tender towards Esther, and because of his tenderness towards Esther, he was tender towards Israel. But those other two, God allowed them to be tender towards Israel. And he used the four Hebrew boys to bring a greater influence for that tenderness to be widened and expanded through King Nebuchadnezzar. So he chose to denounce and demolish that he was king, that he was God, because that's, that, that's what that image meant. I am God, worship me. That's why God says in Exodus 20, there shall not be any images made of any man or any other deity. It's false worship. That's why he said that. Because that's what was happening. And he acknowledged God and it was restored unto him. And it was redeemed. You see how good God is? Now, what the last thing I want to say is um, many of us are fearful and afraid and, again, being stiff-necked and blinded and jaded and denying pride and denial. He's not a God of judgment. He just wants love, mercy, and grace. Ah. I'm tired of all of that, too, because you cannot take away any of God's nature and the more I study and the more I mature in faith and the more I mature chronologically, the more I have seen that the Old Testament's 
laws were not abolished. Go back and read Matthew again. We don't have time for it tonight. But go back and read Matthew again. Why Yeshua came and what he said he fulfilled. He said he did not come to do away with the laws, but to fulfill them. And he gave a new commandment, which all the Ten Commandments are summarized in those two. They're not done away with. They're just summarized in those two. So what I'm saying is we're not bound to the law. We know this from Galatians and we know this from Romans 6 through 8. We have better because we, we, could, we would die from the letter of the law. We have the spirit. Thank God. Glory. Hallelujah for that. But we also can't live on a false doctrine. The Torah is Yeshua. Yeshua is the word. If the Torah has ended, that means Yeshua has ended. I'm saying this all because you cannot take away the nature that God is the God of vengeance. He's the God of wrath. He's the God of justice. And most people have justice all wrapped up in, uh, sorry, all misconstrued and confused because you cannot have justice without judgment. Yes, he delights in showing mercy over judgment, mercy triumphs over judgment, but we want justice and you must understand in order for God to execute justice, it's just like in the natural. In order for a judge to decree or rule in favor of justice, there has to be a judgment against the offender. We got to stop saying that God's not a warrior because there's so many people who are in this phase that God's just a lover. He's some lovesick, hopeless romantic, and he is. But my point is, he's all those things. We can't separate or compartmentalize God. That's a word for 2022. Watch how you're compartmentalizing God. You cannot do that with him. He's high above. He's far above. He's not like man. You can't do that. He is all of the things in one. You cannot separate him. He's the God of wrath and vengeance. He's also the God of love. He's the God of justice. He's also the God of mercy. He's the God of war. He's the God of peace. You cannot separate things of him. Yeshua is the lion and the lamb. Two different things. Yeshua is the Torah and is love. The new covenant. Watch how you are observing and you're worshiping Yeshua in 2022. So, Father, we come before you right now, Father, and we say that we want to abandon pride. We don't want to take pride with us, Father. We don't want to be like Israel. We're learning from the truths you put before us. We're learning from Israel, Father, that as Israel went through into the wilderness, it was not supposed to be 40 years, nowhere near it. 
It, the journey was not supposed to be that long, Father. We are humbling ourselves today and we're saying, Father, we've missed it. And the journey was not supposed to be this long for nations, not individually. And yes, individually, but we're thinking the way you think for nations. Your eyes are on nations. And Father, we're asking that you would help us, that you would show us a better way. Father, we thank you that you've given us the keys. You've given us the antidote to humble ourselves. So we say we humble ourselves before your mighty hand, before your mighty power. We thank you that we are a humble people. I thank you right now. The United States of America is a humble nation. We are mighty. We are powerful. And we have righteous pride. We have dignity and we have honor, but we are not a stiff-necked people. I decree and I declare that we are covered in the blood of Yeshua, the blood of the Lamb, and we will no longer be known as a stiff-necked, arrogant, and haughty people. We will be a people who are humbled before the hand of God, before the might of God. We choose to humble ourselves. And not have you humble us. Father God, we thank you that you will receive us, that you will approve of us. Father, we thank you that you will draw near to us once again in this nation. And Father, every nation that is choosing to humble itself, every nation that's choosing to have a broken and contrite spirit, according to your word, you will draw and come once again. You will fan into flame with your Holy Spirit. You will come like a fire. You will burn like a fire and you will be those nations, this nation's God, and we will be your people. Yeshua, thank you for the remnant. Thank you for raising up your bride. Thank you for hearts that are burning, for ears that are listening. Thank you for those who are getting it. We choose to resist pride because we no longer want to pick that up. We have more things to expect to enter into. We need to be sons. Teach us how to be sons, Holy Spirit. Sons take cities. Sons take territories. Sons take nations. Sons disciple nations and regions. That's where we're going. We want the next level. And Father, we understand before we get to the next level, we have to have breakthrough in the level that we're in. So again, Father, we thank you that you're merciful and that you're gracious, that when we choose to bow low, just as it says in Daniel chapter four of King Nebuchadnezzar, that when we choose to go low, you acknowledge it, you honor it, and you act swiftly. And we thank you, Father God, right now for restoration and for redemption. I speak redemption, a redemptive order, a reworking in the nations that are submissive and humbled before you. In Jesus' name, blessings.